tuning in to the Mind Matters podcast, a production of the University of Kentucky Sanders Brown Center on Aging, where we focus on research as it relates to brain health. I'm April Stauffer, your host. Today, I've invited Dr. Brian Gold to join me. He's the director of the Cognitive Neuroscience of Aging Lab and a professor in the departments of neuroscience and radiology. He's also a co-director of UK's MRI Center and co-director of the Biomarker Corps at the UK Sanders Brown Center on Aging's Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. Welcome, Dr. Gold. Hi, April. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, great to be here with you, and thanks so much for uh, everything you're doing to put this together and uh, keep people uh, entertained and informed. <laughs> there is a lot to inform people about. I'll tell you, we have so much going on through the Sanders Brown Center on Aging there's never a dull moment. And if um, people wonder, you know, what, what are they doing with research? It's not advancing. That could not be further from the truth. There's so much happening. So I've invited you on because I just think your work is spectacular. And I wanted you to share just a little bit about your background and how you developed an interest in this type of research. Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. So um, in terms of my background, uh, so I'm originally from Canada. I was born in Montreal and we lived there until I was 13. Then my family moved to Toronto. So we lived in Toronto for a while. And, you know, as a kid in high school, I don't think most of my cohort would have thought that I was going to become a scientist. I was athletic. Uh, you know, I like playing sports, um, a little bit hyperactive. Um, and I think, I think what happened was just, uh, curiosity. I, I loved anatomy and physiology. And I remember taking a high school class uh, on anatomy and physiology, and I just loved learning about, you know, the bones and the the, the different uh, names of muscles and the tendons and so on. And um, I think what happened was then I was also interested in cognitive things like memory. How do we remember things? And uh, when I got to university, then there was the opportunity to take classes that, you know, looked at the neuroanatomy of the brain and linked it to memory and executive functions and things like that. So that that just fascinated me. I was I was very, very interested in that. Wow. That it's amazing to me when I talk to the researchers at Sanders Brown, how many of them started out on one career path or never saw themselves maybe in a lab or and here they are. It's fascinating. So if you're out there listening, Maybe this isn't something that you're studying yet, but who knows? Maybe you'll be interested one day. Yeah. Exactly what does your lab study? So my lab studies very broadly neurocognitive aging. That is how the brain changes as we get older and um, how those changes link to or are correlated with uh, changes in our cognitive status, our memory, our executive functioning, et cetera. And so... We try to understand, um, uh, you know, what constitutes a sort of normal change in the brain, uh, because the brain changes a lot as we get older, uh, versus things that are more predictive of or associated with um, a decline in memory or executive functioning. And so uh, we use neuroimaging to do that, uh, primarily MRI. So we can get a very detailed picture of the brain and look at um, uh, uh, changes in the structure and the function of the brain and how they correlate with uh, cognitive changes to get a better understanding of, you know, what is normal aging and what is, what is like I said, what is not normal aging. 
So in thinking about our listeners, when should they be concerned about neurodegenerative diseases? Yeah, you know, it's it, it's interesting these days because everybody's so informed. People read up and they read it in the newspaper and they, they hear it on the news. They Google things now that didn't used to be available. So I think people are way more um, knowledgeable and interested and sophisticated about um their uh, uh, you know chances or risks, and uh, they may even do twenty three and Me and you know look at a genetic risk for Alzheimer's. But to answer your question, I would say that there's differences in you know the cognitive changes that would be expected in um, sort of more normal aging versus being at risk for uh, neurodegenerative disease. For example, um, as we as we get older. The brain changes and, and and we slow down in our in our cognitive uh, and motor speed, uh, uh, but you know not knowing where you put the keys or um, uh, forgetting to uh, pick up something at the grocery store is very normal. What is less normal and more concerning would be things that are um, recent memory, such as what did I eat for breakfast this morning, or what movie did I watch last night. Things that happened very recently are more concerning because it suggests that the parts of the brain that change in Alzheimer's, um, uh, like the hippocampus that make new memories may not be working right. They're not helping you to make a new memory. So you can remember things from 20 years ago because they're, they're stored in, in, in associative cortex in your brain, but it's harder for your brain to make a new memory. Like what did I eat for breakfast this morning? That's more concerning, especially if it's consistent. With your work seeing the brain and the MRI scans, how do the neural pathways slow down in just a normal aging brain? So um, the uh, pathways of the brain are uh, connected by um, white matter tracts that are surrounded by myelin, a fatty substance that helps the nerves conduct signals and sort of communicate between different parts of the brain. So when those white matter tracts demyelinate, which happens in normal aging, everything slows down. The speed of transmission of signals slow down. And if it's more extreme, then the ability of different parts of the brain to work together um, uh, changes. And that, that happens in normal aging. We know that in normal aging, uh, older adults compared to their younger selves are not as fast at doing tasks. They don't remember as well. They don't do as well on complex tasks. And that's one of the reasons why is because of the change in the connectivity uh, between their brain regions. They're not talking to each other, the brain regions, as efficiently as they were before. Okay. So for example, some people, as they get older, they seem to be able to run even marathons in their 80s and yeah. remember everything that ever happened in history um, and can count backwards from 100 by every number possible. Right. And then there are some folks who just aren't at that level. What do you think the secret is? Is it a secret to being able to age well and still have all of that cognitive reserve left? Is that what you would call yeah. that? Yes, yes, yes. So um, I guess there's a few different things. Um, it, you know, I mean, one thing is genetics, and uh, we don't can't control that, at least not yet in human beings. 
So we have our genetics and we have our family risk factors and so on. Um, and some people are just more lucky genetically in terms of, you know, um, uh, their, their, their pattern of inheritance and, and uh, um, ability to continue to think clearly. And like you said, run uh, uh, in their eighties. Um, so it's a, it's a complex number of different things. One, you know, that would be one factor. Another factor that you brought up is Israeli lifestyle. And so it, it, it is true that people who are more physically fit, who engage more with other people, um, who, who, who keep um, active in terms of reading and thinking, uh, do tend to um, uh, do, they do tend to develop dementia at a later age. They're older usually when they develop dementia and or maybe don't don't develop it at all. Depends on when they died, of course, as well. But uh, like you said, you can have people in their mid 80s who are perfectly normal. So, um, you know, the idea of cognitive reserve uh, is 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 the idea that just very simply is you can have two people uh, uh, who have a PET scan done. And they have just, let's just say, almost identical PET scans. They have the same amount of amyloid buildup in their brain. And it's a lot, let's say. They both have enough amyloid to be considered pathologically or by, by PET scan to have Alzheimer's disease. Yet one of them is functioning normally, and the other one has cognitive impairment and can no longer take care of themselves. So uh, that's just... That fascinates me uh, as, as to why that is. Um, uh, and, and that whole idea is an idea called cognitive reserve that, that, that came out of uh, um, Columbia University and Yakov Stern uh, that really said that it's, it's the difference in, in, in some form of uh, brain function um, uh, uh, or lifestyle factors that are protecting some people uh, um, uh, in that way. Do you think maybe there's something in addition to that cognitive reserve that we just haven't found in the brain yet that acts as a protective mechanism? That is a fantastic <laughs> question. So there, the, the different options are, you know, pe people do have healthier lifestyle and they don't develop as much pathology. We call that brain maintenance. Then there's the example I gave you where it's actually, they do develop pathology, but somehow it's not affecting them as much. And your question is kind of like about them. What's going on in their brain maybe uh, that's allowing them uh, to continue to function like that? So at the molecular level, I have no idea. <laughs> <'Cause that's laughs> However, um, at the uh, more systemic systems level, uh, we do see that uh, older adults, uh, uh, you know, some uh, uh, use their brain differently and they have different patterns of functional connectivity when they do a task. For example, if we do fMRI or resting state, some parts of their brain are just still more connected. Like there's different networks in the brain, the default mode network, the exec, uh, you know, executive control network. One network could be hit and the other network could be still connected well and compensating. So um, I think that that's, that that's something that has been seen consistently in the literature. And we're trying to link it to, well, what are they doing differently? Sometimes it's difficult to know, you know, because we have observational studies and then there are clinical trials. And in the observational study, sometimes you'll see an effect that people who are more physically fit uh, are more protected and they do better cognitively. But then you have a clinical trial and it doesn't improve cognition. 
why is that? Is the clinical trial not long enough? Um, uh, you're not measuring something that's going across the lifetime. Uh, you're just measuring something for six weeks. Why is that? Uh, we don't know yet, uh, uh, but it's, it's uh, quite safe to say that there are a few things that everybody can do that across the literature uh, uh, seem to show quite uh, powerful, significant effects and exercise is one of them. Even if it's only like walking and walking, you know, a few walks a day at a decent pace, uh, th that, that uh, is, is, is really good as well as social contact. Uh, I would have never, you know, that was something that came into the literature later, social contact. Yes, because people who are isolated are often depressed and that's not good because you know the parts of your brain that are the emotional parts are right near the memory parts so uh if you're very depressed uh, that's not good for your memory the more research that's out there just encompasses all of every aspect of our being and how that's so important for our brain function not yeah. just limited to the mechanisms i guess in our brain but right you know, what we eat and what we think yeah. And good thoughts are supposed to be, you know, positive for our brain health. So, yeah. so all those things for heart healthy diet and anything like that is great. Yeah. Yes. Um, is it too late to start doing the good lifestyle choices for our brains? Is there ever a point where it's too late to make an impact? I don't know uh, the answer to that for sure. However, uh, just at the more uh, anecdotal and me being an optimistic person level, I would say no. <laughs> I would say it's not too late um, because I believe that some of these things, like if you can walk, for example, and you can encourage more blood flow to your brain and you can eat more healthy, uh, the question is how big is the magnitude of the effect that you might gain? Um, not whether you would gain something. I think you would. Question is, is it significant? And I think there's a lot of studies now trying to understand that is if you have older adults and you have interventions like cognitive training or exercise, or uh, how, how do they how do they work out? And um, and so I, I would say personally that it's never too late. Um, uh, and and again, that's partly based on the literature and partly just based on me trying and tending to be optimistic. It also provides hope for our listeners. You know, you may be older out there and listening and think it's too late to get started on an exercise program. What good would it do? It's never too late. Um, there's always benefits to reap, I think. So, and the research shows that too. So with all that you do within your research and at Sanders Brown, do you think we're closer to preventing Alzheimer's and related dementias? Yes, there's no doubt about that now because of um, the new um, medication, Lacanumab, uh, that people uh, are beginning to take uh, everywhere, including here. That is the first medication that not only clears uh, amyloid plaques, but shows an improvement in cognition. So um, it's the first medication to, to be able to show those effects. And uh, people are now starting to get these infusions. It's a beginning though. It's a brave new world because uh, Alzheimer's has been, have no wins for, for, for so many decades. To finally have something that works is incredibly encouraging not just to the people in the public, but researchers themselves who are like, wow, is we're, are we ever going to get a win here? So there's a win now, finally. Uh, and, that, and that means there's hope uh, plus new research. 
And uh, the idea of maybe trying to treat people even earlier who are at risk but are not cognitively impaired. Um, uh, there are studies going on here at our center like that. And I have incredible colleagues at the Sanders Brown Center on Aging who are, you know, doing studies related to, um, you know, these infusions as well as looking at uh, the brain at, uh, at autopsy and seeing, um, you know, uh, uh, what, what different things uh, affects may be relevant. So I think we are definitely closer, you know, and obviously Alzheimer's is not the only kind of dementia. It's the most common kind, but it's not the only kind. Other uh, other kinds of diseases will require uh, different medications. And uh, the people, you know, the, doing pathology here, like Dr. Nelson, you know, he sees uh, a pathology um, many pathologies um, in most people uh, who have uh, dementia, not just one. So the future may be, you know, poly treatments um, uh, in people who are at risk. Um, so that's a long-winded answer, but there's definitely way more hope on the horizon than there has been, like, ever. You know, Sanders-Brown, that was a test site for Aricept and for Namenda, and those approvals were pretty far apart and it's been a while since Namenda was actually approved so definitely a win with Lakembi out there now and something that actually changes the pathology not just some of the symptoms so that's a huge deal and I think for what we're seeing in neuropath what you're saying is these different brain diseases that maybe we weren't able to see prior. It's just amazing what the field is doing and with the advanced technology of what we can do now and what we can see that we couldn't see years ago. So exactly. Those are my thoughts. Exactly. Very fascinating. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Just sort of, you know, uh, my, my personal advice would be check with your doctor, but if you're able uh, to walk and get some, get some exercise, um, as well as uh, try to have heart health. That's you're putting yourself right there. Quit smoking if you can. Those things right there will put you uh, in a uh, much better position um, uh, to uh, live your years out uh, cognitively um, intact and sharp and uh, social connection with others as well is very important. Dr. Gold, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. And thank you to you and your team for all the research that they're doing Thank you for the work you're doing on cognitive reserve and everything you do for the biomarker core at Sanders Brown. We really appreciate your work. Mind Matters is brought to you by the University of Kentucky Sanders Brown Center on Aging. Our goal is to improve the health of older adults in Kentucky and beyond through research dedicated to understanding the aging process and age-related brain diseases. To learn more about the center, visit our website at https colon forward slash forward slash medicine.uky.edu forward slash centers forward slash SBCOA. And follow us on Facebook, X, formerly known as Twitter, and the Sanders Brown Center on Aging YouTube channel.